Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning and happy Lunar New Year to you all. particularly to those who celebrate for the rest of you are like, oh, whatever. I hope that uh, you slept okay despite fireworks maybe going late into the night as we had. Uh, the good news is your hearing is fine. <laughs> maybe until after the last night. Oh, no. Um, We are, as a church, we are going through the book of Isaiah. And so I just wanted to um, just give you a little bit of a heads up where we're heading. We are uh, right now in Isaiah 34. We will go until Isaiah 39, and then we'll take a break, and we will go uh, do the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And then we will come back to Isaiah and go 40 to 66. It's such a long book. We decided to mix it up a little bit. So just so you know where we're heading this year with um, our teaching in the word. So this morning we are in Isaiah chapter 34, which means that we are now over halfway through Isaiah. Um, If you have um, been in Malaysia for a while, you may have had the opportunity to participate in something called Yisang, or there are different names for it, but Yisang is the one I'm going with. Um, And it's it's something done at the Chinese New Year time, um, and you get this colorful platter like that, and everyone grabs a pair of chopsticks, and gets in there and you toss all of the, they're all separate and it all looks very nice. And the design, the idea is to make it look not nice, I think. Just kidding. Uh, You mix it all up. Everyone throws their chopsticks in and mixes it all up, toss it in the air. And customarily you say things while you're doing that. And generally you're saying things that you hope will come to pass. So people will say prosperity, good luck, good health, things like that while you're tossing the fish and the veggies and whatever else is in there up in the air. Of course, uh, tossing things up in the air with chopsticks will not bring about prosperity. Surprise, surprise. Twice this last week, I heard someone say to me that they need to speak positively so that positive things may happen. Speaking prosperity doesn't make it come into existence. Speaking positively uh, doesn't doesn't make it so. Um, And interestingly, it's not the way the Bible speaks to us. In fact, the Bible prefers to speak truth, even when it is hard truth. 
truth telling, even when it is difficult, is important because lives are at stake. So Proverbs 14, 25 says this, a witness saves lives when he tells the truth. When he tells lies, he betrays people. Another proverb says this, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. This one, this last one is not from the Bible, from Henry Cloud. Uh, he says, the fool tries to adjust the truth. So he does not have to adjust to it. Friends, today our passage in Isaiah 34 is a hard one. It's a stern warning for us all. But it is, it's important for us to hear it to soak it in, to allow conviction, to, to drive us to our knees before God. If you only look for positivity, you are doing yourself no favors. And so this, this passage in Isaiah is a, it's intended to be a sobering message. So this morning, we will go through this in three parts, a warning, a cause, and a certain word. First, a warning. Who is the warning for? And so we open up with, with this in verses one and two. Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world, and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He who has devoted them to destruction has given them over for slaughter. We are given right out the gate a warning for all nations. And so we're going to go through this, this warning section in three parts. Who is this warning for? What is the nature of warning? Why do we need the warning? Who is the warning for? It says all nations. That's last I checked, that's every one of us. We are all included in that. We've already seen in chapters 13 to 23 that all nations stand guilty before God. This includes Israel. There is no nation, there is no person who will avoid God's judgment. But then this chapter also seems to focus in on one nation in particular. In verses 5 through 17, it zeroes in on a nation called Edom. Edom, you may or may not recall, is another name for Esau. Esau was Jacob's brother and Isaac's son. So Genesis 25, we, we see Esau and, uh, and Jacob, and ja Esau sold his birthright 
to his brother Jacob. It says in verse 34 of Genesis chapter 25, thus Esau despised his birthright. In chapter in Genesis 36, tells of Esau marrying Canaanite women, and I think more importantly, adopted their gods. Not a good start for the nation of Edom. In Amos chapter 1, Edom's wickedness becomes more evident. Here in Amos, they are describing uh, engaging in human trafficking as a nation. But one scholar notes that Amos is capturing really a thousand years of Edom's hostility towards Israel. Malachi 1, we see Edom is in ruins. And so the warning of Edom's demise in Isaiah comes true. It's not an empty warning. It is a warning filled with truth. Edom was brought down. And because Edom was such a sustained enemy of Israel, their destruction stands as a symbol for all of the nations, a symbol of the day of Yahweh, when God judges all the nations. Psalm 98 verse 9 says this, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And so Edom here stands for, even though it's a specific nation, it stands for all the nations. So what's the nature of the warning? The warning is simply this, that, that God's holiness demands the world be made right. It needs a cleanse. Have you ever done a cleanse? Like a juice cleanse or something like that? Or a colonoscopy where the cleansing is done by this medicine that is, it's not pleasant. The idea is it, it to, for a cleanse is to rid your body of all of the toxins that are built up in us. And cleanses have been shown to uh, have a number of health benefits, but it's terribly unpleasant. Our bodies become quite comfortable with the toxins. The toxins take home in us, and we are glad to have them. And so this cleansing of the toxins, which are not healthy for us, it's terribly painful. Because there's no way to remove the toxins without purifying the whole body. The earth is in need of a detox cleanse. God warns the nations of judgment that will come. And for those who remain in sin or remain loyal to their own pride and own ambition, judgment is frightening. Judgment here is described in warlike terms. And this is because there are rival kingdoms at work. 
most of the time we, we see only the earthly rivalries. We see one nation going up against another. But there is something more, something we don't see. The evil one wants us to focus on focus everything on, on making our own kingdoms, on getting our own kings in place. But the Bible tells us there's already a rightful king. And that king must put down all of the false kingdoms. We cannot know when we will meet judgment. And so we best decide now who is king in our lives. Who is your king? Not who do you say is your king, but who is really your king? So why do we need to hear this warning? Why does the Bible use so much space to warn us of coming judgment? Why doesn't it just have um, little, you know, inspirational quotes all the way through? And it's because there is no greater life and death issue than eternal life. We have been made for eternity, but in our state of rebellion, our destiny cannot be with God. God's kingdom is for the righteous. So we encounter a problem when we read passages like this and then think that judgment sounds too harsh or too extreme. And that's certainly what the world would like us to think. Oh, you're getting carried away here. And there are many things in the world that would, that once are complete and utter devotion. And the more we do those things, the more we devote ourselves to those things, the less we care about God and his kingdom and about eternal things. You could think of it like one of those mobile phone games where you have like a virtual life of some sort. I don't, I asked my kids what the name of these games is and they didn't, they didn't help me. They failed me. Uh, these games are designed to get as much of your attention as you will give to it. They've designed it so that you have to constantly poke little buttons here and there so that it requires you to check in all the time. And before you know it, you are, you're, you're doing this at work and you're doing it during dinner and you're even waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you're doing the, the updates. So that's probably for the older people because, you know, waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Before you know it, you're walking down the sidewalk, bumping into people because you're busy doing these updates. In other words, this virtual life steals away your attention from the real life and real relationships. We can sometimes treat our lives like that game. We get sucked into minor pursuits and petty ambitions and miss the eternal 
and ignore our creator who wants to offer us something better. Something insignificant controls our life. We must destroy it before it destroys us. So we're given a warning here because we need a warning. Our hearts are wayward. One more illustration that may help this make sense in a different way, especially if you like history. I can hear the groans, in your internal groans. In the days leading up to World War II, Germany established a society built on different principles than the nations around it. They decided one race was superior to all others, and all the others needed to be removed. They decided that people with major handicaps or health problems slow society down and need to be removed. They decided they were the rightful rulers of the world. Many people brought, uh, bought into this completely. The power of rhetoric, the power of persuasion, and they bought into it. And for all of those who joined up with this vision of society, things went really well for them while Germany was conquering the surrounding nations. But then when the tables began to turn in World War II, and the Allied forces were closing in on Germany, it was a different outlook for those that bought into the Nazi vision. There was a sudden awareness that they would be judged for what they had done, what they had contributed to. This led many thousands to commit suicide. Life magazine reported on this. It says this, in the last days of the war, the overwhelming realization of utter defeat was too much for many Germans. Stripped of the bayonets and bombast which had given them power, they could not face a reckoning with either their conquerors or their consciences. They were suddenly confronted by the fact that they would face judgment for what they had done. They had come to believe something was good when in fact it was evil and demanded judgment. Many years ago in the United States, they ran an advertising campaign to warn people about drugs. They showed an egg and they said, this is your brain. And then they cracked the egg and put it into a sizzling frying pan and said, this is your brain on drugs. This passage in Isaiah 34 is saying, this is your life. And then it's saying, this is your life captive to sin under judgment. A passage like this should jolt us to alertness, to, a, to be awakened. Secondly, a cause. We gain further understanding about this judgment. Um, God is working to create a better world for the cause of Zion, it says in verse 8. We talked about Zion last week as a good place where God's good and perfect will 
is carried out and his creation thrives and flourishes. That is what God wants for his people. Obadiah, a one-chapter prophecy in the Bible. So if you want to read a book of the Bible today, do it. Just go read Obadiah. You can do it quick. You can do it before you finish all those updates on your virtual life game. Obadiah um, also brings up this idea of Edom in the in judgment, and it says um, that judgment will come upon Edom, and and like Isaiah was pointing symbolically to all the nations. Obadiah tells us, though, that there is escape from such judgment in Zion. Verse 17 says this, But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. How is it that some are judged and others are able to escape to Zion? For the answer, let's go back to Isaiah 34, verses 6 and 7. We have this really graphic language involving blood and sacrifice. The Lord has a sword, and it is sated with blood, and it is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, and with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom, Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. Reading passages like this can be hard to understand, frankly. And it may seem at first glance that it's a grisly description of the destruction of Edom. But actually, the language is using that of religious sacrifice the blood and the fat of lambs and goats in other words there has been great evil done and the ancient way of paying for such evil is blood sacrifice Edom had to pay for her wickedness just as the Nazi had to pay for the terror he brought upon the earth. The Bible says that we are no different. Edom's sin did not begin with human trafficking. It was a result of walking away from God. We have each done our share of walking away from God. And as a result of our way waywardness, sacrifice is needed. One writer says this, Knowledge of coming judgment is part of a divine package for the world, which includes, first, the knowledge of salvation that through the law of God, though the law of God stands, there is forgiving mercy that triumphs over the judgment. The forgiving mercy that this writer is talking about is rooted in God's very own character. God, being a God of mercy, has provided another way. He sent his son to become a sacrifice for us. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross became the payment for all those 
who call upon him. In order to create Zion as the good place, God had to remove all who carry out evil. And that should have included you and I. But the guilt we possess was taken away when Jesus died for us. This means forgiveness. This means we gain life. This means we gain entry to Zion. But we need to be clear. If we declare our allegiance to Jesus as our true king and savior. In other words, this is a moment to to reflect on where your true allegiance is. Who is your king? A certain word. Our final point is this, that God's word is true and will come to pass. Let's look at verse 16. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded, and his spirit has gathered them. Here we are reminded of uh, the end of the chapter about, here we are reminded about the, the end, at this end of the chapter, that God's judgment, that these warnings are the realest warnings you could ever hear the most real warning. I grew up here in KL and I can remember when as a kid, there were many advertisements warning about the penalties of drug use. Dada means death was the slogan. And everyone who lived in Malaysia, unless you were, extremely blind and deaf, you knew that drug possession was a serious offense. And that if you were caught, it meant death by hanging. It's the kind of warning that God is giving, that this is of the most serious nature. But there's a difference. A few years ago, I met someone whose brother had been caught with the um, amount of drugs that would cause a death sentence, and he was caught and arrested, so it should have meant he had the death penalty, but a little bribe goes a long way, because there's no government's word that is as true as God's word. Government leaders are just as fallen and prone to temptation as the rest of us. In other words, dada means death is a strong warning, but it's weakened by the weakness of men. The contrast with God is clear. God's word is true and will come to pass. God's word is sure Every nation, every person has numbered days. Judgment will come to all. It will not do to ignore the warnings. We must hear and obey. But we obey not to 
not in a quest to find innocence. We obey because Jesus gave us his innocence. To live life new. To give us a fresh start to live differently. The more we seek him, the more we are given the strength to live a godly life. So what do we take from this? A day of judgment is coming. And none of us knows when it will be. On our drive to harvest this morning, we passed a vehicle that had clearly had a very terrible accident sometime, I'm guessing in the night. There were no people around it. But it looked terrible. None of us knows how many days we have. When we will draw our last breath. And so it's a calling to get our lives in order. So how do we get our life in order then? It begins by recognizing that you can't do it. I, I, I don't like going to doctors. It's no, nothing about doctors. I like doctors just fine. I just don't like going to, to visit them. I don't like doctors' offices. So I only go when nothing else is working. Nothing else will get your life in order other than going to the one who can heal what is broken. You can pray a simple prayer asking God to do this work in you. Talk to someone who is walking with Christ to explain more to you. As you grow into life with Christ, my prayer is that you will begin to take delight in the things of God. Thirdly, warn others. We read uh, during the, uh, Annie read the passage from Matthew 25. Sometimes I think we, we, we hear people say things like, oh, the God of the Old Testament is kind of judgy, but Jesus, I really, he's my homeboy. I really, really love Jesus. But Jesus, Jesus was just as clear about these warnings just as clear about the eternal realities that we face. So Jesus and Isaiah are both offering us a warning that it is the eternal that really will matter. And how we live now, the decisions you make today, tomorrow, the day after, have eternal consequences. And if you let your friends go through life without hearing this warning, that's, that's a challenge. It's a problem. I know it's not really cool to bring these things up. I mean, generally, the world's vibe is like, let's just have fun. Like, let's ignore all the stuff going on and just have fun. But people need to know when there is something coming their direction, when there is warning needed. That people need to know there's something beyond trivial entertainment or fun. 
They need to know the living God who longs to be their father, who longs to be their king. Who is your king? 